Our scripture today is John 19, 1 through 16. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die, because he was made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered from his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. And in the aromatic Gabbatha, now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered him, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. How you guys doing? Oh, man, we need to do some rearranging here real quick. This is real tall, but I'm going to leave it. Well, hey, uh, should I talk into this mic? No, I'm just kidding. I get my stand-up comedy bit out of the way really fast to make things less awkward. So, hey, uh, my name is Matt, and I am uh, really excited to be with you guys this morning. I am uh, all the way from the great state of Oklahoma. Oh, man, gosh. You guys believe this is the promised land. You really do. I, uh, Tim, Tim texted me last night to ask me if I was in the promised land yet, and I thought to myself, I, I can't hide from the wind anywhere here. I don't know how this would possibly be. I woke up this morning thinking that I just needed this instead of a jacket and walked outside and was really awakened. So, but, uh, but hey, I, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I uh, um, am one of the elders, pastors at Frontline Church in, in Edmond, Oklahoma. And so I, I have the great honor of serving alongside Tim for a while. We planted a church together. Um, and, uh, and so he's one of my dearest brothers and uh, miss him a ton. I'm really frustrated with you guys on a regular basis that you would take him from us. And uh, but everybody that, that moved up here from, from, from my home to plant, plant this church here, uh, you guys took some of our best people. Um, and so you should be um, full of joy for that. Like uh, seeing Ian walk in back there with his, his mountain man beard, 
and, um, and getting to worship with Christy. Uh, I, I was the, the worship director at Frontline for a, for a while, and so I got the joy of leading worship with Christy like week in and week out for years. And so whenever, whenever she said she was coming with Tim and Patty, I got really sad. So, but, uh, but man, I, I'm really excited to be here this morning and to be able to continue on in, this, in the book of John. And, uh, and so I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to jump in together. So, so Father, thank you for just the beauty of your scriptures. Thank you for the fact that you, you saw fit to give us um, your literal words. God, and, and these carry authority, and, and, they, and they carry um, power, and so we just ask this morning that as we open it, you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to, to see the beauty of, of Jesus as our King, and we pray this in his name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, so uh, I've got a three-year-old kid, and she, she watches nothing but Disney movies on a regular basis, and uh, something that I've realized, and I, was, I, I just came to this realization literally last night while I was sitting in my hotel room, is that every single one of these movies has a lot of the same plot, right? And so there's someone's in charge, and then someone wants to be in charge. And so it's like all the Frozen movies are this way. So, sorry, spoiler alert for all of you um, that have not seen Frozen 1, 2, and 3, and 4. Uh, but, uh, but all these movies, like, and even if you go back to uh, the movies that maybe adults may like, more like, I'm weird, but like my favorite movie of all time is... Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. Okay, all right, okay. Um, and, uh, but all of these movies have this kind of major theme. There's a king, and then there's people that want to overthrow the king. There's a king, and there's people that don't need the king. Um, and so it seems like even built into literature, built into our movies, our music even, there's this common theme of, of authority, and whether you have it or you don't have it, uh, if, you, if you have it, you maybe you're frustrated you have it. If you don't have it, you want it. And so there's this thing that's built into us as human beings that um, authority is something we want, and we, we kind of will uh, take a step back in most cases if someone else is actually in authority over us. Uh, this, uh, my entire life, I've had a problem with this. Uh, this. As you can imagine, this manifested itself in some pretty uh, fun ways for my parents as I was growing up. So uh, I signed the paddle seven times in elementary school, and it, some of you know what that means, um, but that just means I, I got spanked somewhere around 49 times uh, from the time I was in the first to fifth grade, and, 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 it, and it kind of bled into how I acted as a teenager, too, so I bleached my hair when I was in the seventh grade. Uh, just so that everyone would know that I was my own man and that no one was in charge of me, not even my hair. Um, and so these things happen. We do these things even as children. And, uh, but, but even I, I got saved when I was 16 years old, but unfortunately this is something that's persisted in me for my entire life. Um, there's something that kind of, that kind of, I don't love it when someone else is in charge of me. And now, now the Lord is redeeming that in me. Uh, thank, thank, thank him for that. But, um, but we all do this, right? If you, if you stop for just a moment, like we all do this a little bit, like whether it's with your spouse or whether it's with your parents or your boss at work, we, we kind of like flinch at the idea of someone else being able to tell us what to do. And today in this text, we're actually going to get an up close and personal look at three different responses to the authority and the kingship of Jesus. Um, from the Roman soldiers, from Pilate, and from the Jewish people as well. And before we go uh, any further into this, it's important that we don't check out, all right? Um, we're looking at some of the more brutal moments in the life of Jesus at the hands of both the Jews and the Roman people. 
And to not feel bad about ourselves, we have a tendency uh, often uh, to not associate ourselves with these people, to not associate ourselves with what, with what they did then or how they acted then. But what we want to do is we want to actually stop and be honest with ourselves for a minute and see the reality that we are, in a way, like all three of these groups of people um, that we're going to look at in this text today. So the question is, for all of us to answer as we open the, the word together, is how do we respond to the authority of Jesus? How do we respond to Jesus saying that he is king over our lives and over this world? And so look with me real quick uh, at the, the first response that we see from the Roman soldiers. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 again together. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. You know, the first response we see uh, to the authority and the kingship of Jesus is uh, the belittling of the very existence of it, the mockery of the very existence of the authority of Jesus. Seemingly in Pilate's mind, um, that if, if he could humiliate Jesus just a little bit in front of all of these people, um, they might feel sorry for him and release him. They were calling for him to be crucified. In Pilate's mind, he could do a little bit less and humiliate him, and then hopefully at that point in time, they would see he was no king to bow down to, and so they would let him go. And so, because of this, the mockery begins, you know, so depending on what theologian you read, this flogging that's mentioned in, in verse 1 here is, uh, it may have been the brutal beating that he received uh, um, at the, the, the hands of the Roman soldiers with the cat of nine tails we've heard about so many times, or it could even have been a lesser beating he received before it um, that would on a regular basis kill the person that was going through it. At, at least weaken them enough to be, once they got up on a cross, they would die quickly. But regardless of whether that's what it is, at some point in time, he received that beating, maybe even more. Either way, Jesus is handed a brutal beating at the hands of the Roman soldiers. They place a crown made of thorns on his head and an old tattered robe on his back. And one by one, the soldiers would come up and kneel before him, mocking him and striking him, proclaiming, Hail the King of Jews, King of the Jews. And this is all meant to both humiliate Jesus and humiliate the Jewish people in the moment. And it all comes to a head when Pilate parades Jesus out in front of the people and he essentially says, look at this poor man who claims to be your king. See, the Roman soldiers found it sporting to mock and beat Jesus because to them, the Jewish people and this man that claimed to be their king were silly. They were silly, close-minded people. And this man was silly to claim to be these closed-minded people's king. You know, this is, uh, unfortunately, is a pretty accurate uh, picture of what the world views Christianity. Um, we, we like to live inside a bubble and think that everyone loves the things of God, but the reality is that the world's response to Christianity, though it's, it's ebbed and flowed uh, over the years, and in particular in the West where we live, um, it's kind of gone a specific trajectory. So decades ago, you would have called it, it would have been what we called a, a positive uh, view of Christianity and culture. And so um, it would actually have been good for you to be a Christian uh, in the public's eyes. So like you would have gained uh, some, some clout in your community if you were a Christian. You'd be known as a, a good moral person. 
Um, and so people would actually look at you with, with more esteem um, than others that maybe didn't attend church or call themselves Christians. And then it moved into what we'd call like a neutral phase. Uh, and so uh, instead of it being something that was really beneficial for you potentially in society, people just stopped caring. Um, so it wasn't like, hey, you know, I, this is good for you or this is bad for you. It just kind of was like, eh, these people are Christians. And unfortunately, like in the last years, and we're moving into a period of time uh, in society where it's, it's moving into a more like negative view of Christianity. Um, some of you have experienced this. If you haven't, I think you will at some point in time. But the reality is that um, the, the values that we carry as Christians, the values that we carry as people who fear God and follow him and, and, and heed to his words, um, is starting to be seen as kind of a hindrance to society. Um, we see this a lot in just the general uh, sexual ethic in society today. And so the reality is that we've actually moved into a time that's very similar uh, to what these people would have experienced. Yes, you and I aren't getting brought before the courts and beaten uh, publicly, but we have brothers and sisters all over the world who are actually experiencing this today. And so it's hard for us to, to find ourselves in this picture with these people. We think, oh, this is crazy. This could never happen. But the reality is that um, the, the view that the world places on Christianity um, is starting to move in this way of mocking and, and mocking the authority that Scripture has over them. We'll come back to this in a minute. The second response we see to the kingship and authority of Jesus is that from Pilate as he questions Jesus. So let's look at verses 6 through 11 together. It says, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him for yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. And so when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus said to him, with a little bit of a mic drop, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You see, by all accounts, Pilate was a very superstitious man. Um, and so when the Jewish leaders brought up the fact that Jesus claims to be God himself, uh, it rocks him a little bit. You know, he's already, we've already seen in, in the last couple of weeks in these scriptures uh, that he's questioned Jesus. He's found nothing wrong with him. He's found him an innocent man. And so he's got to be asking himself at this point in time, like, man, is this true? Is this possibly true? And so he brings Jesus back inside, away from the people, and he begins to question, question him, and, and as we've seen, Jesus doesn't give him an answer. And so his response to that is to say something along the lines of, hey, don't you know that I have power over you? Don't you know what I can do to you? He has a fundamental misunderstanding of what's going on in this picture. You see, Jesus was unlike any king or any authority that Pilate had ever seen. He was dragged in front of him, beaten and mocked and made a fool out of Pilate had no idea what it looked like to be a servant king. Pilate had no idea what it looked like to extend servant authority, to lay down one's life instead of to take up a throne, to take up a cross. And the reality is that we, we do this too. But our Lord reminds us that the mere mortal <laughs> that, has, that was sitting in front of him had nothing that he could do without him giving him power to do so himself. 
you know, I, have a, I talked about her just a second ago, but I've got a sweet little girl that just turned three, and uh, her name is Davy, and uh, she's wonderful. She's wonderful most of the time. Um, if you have a three-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. Um, she just got a personality and knows how to say no and argue with me. It, literally anything I say um, argues with me. And so, uh, But about, about a year ago when she turned two was the time in her life when we had to start uh, exerting our authority over her in a way and reminding her that she wasn't in charge. Uh, she started to have to be told, like, mom and dad are in charge. You're not in charge. And uh, this all kind of came to a funny climax when her grandparents were in town. And uh, if, you, uh, if you're a grandparent, thank you for spoiling the kids while you're in town. It's wonderful. We deal with it for three weeks after you leave. Um, but, but you understand if you're a parent, especially like the chaos that can, that can be unleashed on a home when the grandparents are in town, especially with a two-year-old. And so I'm trying to get my kid down for a nap um, while her grandparents are in town so she doesn't want to go take a nap because her grandparents are here. And at, she, turn, she turns into a little monster. Like, it's crazy. It's like the movie Gremlins. Like, she turns into a monster, and then the next thing I know, she's sitting in my lap. She sticks her finger in my face and goes, no, I'm in charge. She's two. She's two. And I couldn't do anything but laugh. Like, I just, <laughs> there, was no, there was no part of me that was, like, angry at her at that moment. I was like, man, this is what it's like to be a parent, I guess. And, uh, but at two years old, she's putting her finger in my face and, and screaming at me and telling me that she's in charge. She found out she wasn't um, pretty quickly after that. But, but we laugh. We laugh, but we do this as well. Even, even at two years old, even at two years old, we begin to think that we have what it takes to rule the world. There's a little bit of pilot in us where we see that we think we have authority over someone and we begin to extend that authority because it's our lifeline. It's the thing that we think that we need. And then the third and final response we see to the kingship and authority of Jesus is that of the religious elite, the religious people, the Jewish leaders in this text. Look with me at the last part of our scripture, starting in verse 12. So it says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. You see, Jesus had upset the Jewish establishment from the very beginning. John Stott, in his great little book, the, the big book, the, the Cross of Christ, noted that though he claimed to be a rabbi, he had received no formal training he hadn't entered through the right door or climbed the right ladder. Instead of keeping all the rules that they had added to the Bible, he broke them. He spent his time with the poor and the needy and the unclean. Instead of following the Sabbath the way that they did, he would heal people on the Sabbath. Not only did Jesus break the rules and break their rules, but he also criticized them publicly for prioritizing them above Scripture and their blatant hypocrisy. He called them the blind leading the blind and whitewashed tombs. And maybe the worst thing he did in their minds was to undermine their authority. Was to undermine their authority. 
You see, even Pilate knew that the root of the issue, as we see in Matthew chapter 27 in another account of this, was that it was out of envy that they wanted Jesus dead. It was out of envy that they wanted him dead. So in response, in the end, instead of rightfully lifting Jesus up and putting him on a throne, they lift him up and they put him on a cross. John Stott, again in this book, said, The same evil passions influence our own contemporary attitudes to Jesus. He is still, as C.S. Lewis called him, a transcendental interferer. We resent his intrusions into our privacy, his demand for our homage, his expectation for our obedience. Why can't he mind his own business, we ask petulantly, and leave us alone? To which he instantly replies that we are his business and that he will never leave us alone. So we too perceive him as a threatening rival who disturbs our peace, upsets upsets our status quo. He undermines our authority and diminishes our self-respect. And so in the end, we too want to get rid of him. And so the question is, so we've seen a few different responses in this text to the authority and the kingship of Jesus is, what is our response to the authority of Jesus? What is your response? What is my response to the authority of Jesus over our lives? See, the Roman soldiers made a spectacle out of Jesus because his claims and the ways of the Jewish people were countercultural to the ways that they lived their lives. It seemed silly to them that they would have one God, that they would treat their bodies the way they treated their bodies. They would treat the poor the way they treated the poor. In a nutshell, then and now, the ways of Jesus were seen as countercultural and unproductive and even harmful to their happiness. Maybe you feel the same way today. Maybe you feel like Jesus is here to throw a wet blanket on your fun. The reality is that the ways of Jesus are actually meant for our flourishing. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus has sat down and given this incredible sermon on the ways of Jesus, on the way of real life, he says this, Chapter 7, verse 24 through 29, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew And beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And so when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The reality is that the ways of Jesus are actually meant for our flourishing. The authority of Jesus over our life is not meant to be a wet blanket on our fun. It's meant to see us grow and flourish as people. For our house to stand instead of for it to fall. And then as well, it's also worth taking a moment and thinking for just a second, like where and how we've responded to the authority and the kingship of Jesus in the way that Pilate did. You know, it's, it's worth stopping and asking yourself, who's in charge? Who has the ultimate authority over your life? Are you okay with not being in control of everything? What areas of your life 
are you running away from the kingship and authority of Jesus? What decisions are you trying to make outside of his rule and his reign? Where do you need to submit to the rule and authority of Jesus in your life? Because the reality is that what Pilate didn't understand and even what the Jewish people didn't understand at that moment and what we tend to forget is that God having authority over all things is actually not bad news for us, but it's really good news for us. You see, God's authority over our lives means that the ultimate authority in the universe is aware of your sadness and your sickness and your pain and your frustration and your struggles. What better person to have an authority over your life than the one that can bring the dead to life and that can repel all attacks of darkness and can even go to the cross and die for our sins? What better person to extend your homage to and release your authority to than the King, Jesus? So that instead of saying that Jesus is a hindrance to us and our own control over our circumstances, we can say with the psalmist David, that the Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters, and he restores our souls. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because he is with us. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us. And even in the end, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And our cup overflows because of this good king, Jesus, who has authority over us. So friends, it's not bad news. It's good news that Jesus has ultimate authority over us. And then lastly, and probably the most relevant to us in this room, is to ask ourselves how we tend to respond like the Jewish people. These are the people of God. If you think you're a good church person, you should have seen them. They had books of the Bible memorized from birth. <laughs> it feels like they came out of the womb knowing the first five books of the Old Testament. Try to memorize numbers at some point in time. These were the devout of the devout people. They followed all the right rules and they did all of the right things. But the reality is they saw Jesus as an intrusion and as an interfere into their lives. They wanted God's stuff, but they didn't want God. They wanted the kingdom, but they didn't want the king. We see this in the parable of the prodigal son as the younger brother and the older brother. They just want his stuff. They want their father's stuff, but they don't want their father. And so whether you picture yourself as the wayward prodigal son today or you picture yourself as the older brother in the parable who has done everything he was supposed to do his entire life to appease his father and to get his approval, the reality is the invitation from God is that we would receive the king and not just his stuff. Jesus did want to interfere in our lives. He wanted to interfere in our lives because we need him to interfere in our lives. So, as we close, I just want to pose the question to you. Who is your king? Are you your king? Did you die for your sins? Did you raise from the, from the grave three days later? Are the things of this world, are they your authority? Are they your king? Do you find yourself in the place of the Roman soldiers and think this whole Christianity thing is silly? 
Do you find yourself in the place of Pilate, longing to be in charge and to have some authority over your life? See, the reality is my child, who stuck her finger in my face and screamed at me and told me she was in charge, it was good for her not to be in charge. It was good for her that I was there to change that diaper that would have made her sick if it never came off that I was there to feed her, that I was there to comfort her when she was sad. And I'm not a good dad. Not a good dad compared to our heavenly father who we have, who sent his only son for us. And so I want to invite everyone in the room today to ask yourself the question, who is your king? Because there's safety and there's beauty in the authority of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would help us to see where we might be uh, like any of the people in this, in this scripture. And just like the Roman soldiers and just like Pilate and just like the, the Jewish authorities, the religious elite, God, we need you. We need your authority over our lives. We need your good reign and rule over our lives. And so would you teach us, God, to relinquish our grip that we have on our stuff and on our, our families and over our direction in our life, over our bank accounts, over our health, over our children? Would it be good news today that the king of the universe came down and made himself a baby? And then as he grew into a king, didn't take up an earthly throne, but took up a cross for us and would it be good news for us that as he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven he continued to take up his servant throne as he prays and intercedes and cares for us even now and so for those of us in the room God that that have a have a kingdom we're trying to build we ask that you would break that down for for our good and for your glory would it be good news today that Jesus is king pray this in his name. Everybody said, amen. I want to invite us to, to take communion together. And uh, this is the moment where we're going to stop together as, as a church family and just remember the beauty of the cross. Remember the beauty of God's authority over us. As we take the bread and we take the wine or the juice together, be reminded of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus so that we could come settle underneath the good authority of our king and big brother, Jesus. And so if you're here today and, and you would call yourself a Christian, we want to invite you to come take this table with us in a moment. If you're here today and, and you would not call yourself a Christian, I want to invite you to skip this meal. This is a faith meal. This meal doesn't make sense without Jesus. What I'd like to invite you to do today is to come to Jesus and feast on him instead of feasting on this meal. And so I want to invite everybody to stand together. And when you're ready, you can come and you can take the bread and the crackers and the juice or the wine and obey your conscience. And then in a moment, we'll come back together and take communion together.